Hi there, welcome back to the business side of fitness. This is your host, Vanessa Severiano. Each week on the show, we'll highlight fitness industry experts to learn about their personal journey and unique perspective. Through these conversations, we'll learn all about what it really takes to succeed in fitness. This show is brought to you by Vanessa Severiano LLC, specializing in fitness and wellness business development for impactful brands. The time has come to start the show. Everyone's got a story, and now it's time to hear from this week's guest. Let's welcome to the show, Rich Rosso. He's been an entrepreneur and an intrapreneur in varied industries, finding a home in fitness and weight loss 20 years ago. Rich has served as the COO of CKO, that was a tongue twister, the popular kickboxing franchise for the last 10 years. Welcome to the show, Rich. Thank you, Vanessa. Happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you here because you have a really interesting background. And our good friend, Chris Gallo, connected us. And I think so highly of Chris. So I know that you must be the real deal. That's literally the what he said to me. He said, listen, you need to talk to Rich. He is the real deal. You're going to love him. So here we are. So why don't we get started with a little bit about your background? How did you get into the fitness industry? Can, you, can we just get started there? I guess from a young age, I always wanted to be self-employed and be in business for myself. I just didn't really know what I wanted to do. I don't think the word entrepreneur really existed back then, but Somehow in college, I ended up getting into, I have a crazy background, into dental field and ended up owning a dental laboratory and made caps and bridges for people. And it was a really interesting kind of business because I was very creative, but it got to a point where after 10, 15 years where I couldn't collect money anymore, you know, and it was just staring at these models of people's teeth and enjoyed doing the work side, but you can't believe how hard it is to get uh, money from dentists. I hope there's no dentist listening today. I doubt it. But anyway, so I went from that and didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and ironically, through a, a family friend who was a contractor, was involved in a kid's business. And we ended up opening a children's entertainment center. Don't ask me how that happened. But we raised money through friends and family. We raised about a million dollars. We did like a private placement. And we opened up a 10,000 square foot indoor play center. And next thing I knew from making teeth, I was working with kids and we had an unbelievable business the first year. This was in like 94. We did $1.4 million parties for kids, all that type of thing. We put up this structure. And interestingly enough, we had another relative that was an investment banker. And he said, I could take this company public. I knew nothing about the public market, but always being entrepreneurial and just trying to see what I could do next. We ended up doing that and took the company public on NASDAQ raised a lot of money. And then I went from being a business person to a stock, a stock broker, but con constantly looking at the stock more than the business. And I'm going to go short on this, but the underwriter was not a good person. They weren't great. It wasn't a great company, but after about four or five years of going through that whole development stage and taking $12 million and trying to spend it opening locations. We ended up getting into ski resort business and all different types of businesses. And in about seven years, I was burnt out and, uh, and I left. I walked away from it. And I had done about, at that point, about 15, 16 years of self-employment, but never had any formal education. I said, let me go into franchising. I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I started looking at franchising and I had some money and was looking at different types of brands. And I've been selling franchises for 20 years and different than the people that I deal with. 
I wanted something that nobody heard about. It's funny when I talk to people these days and they go, there's none in my area. I'm like, that was the reason I wanted to do it differently than them because I wanted to make a splash. I like to build momentum. So looking around and, and I ran into this weight loss and exercise company and it was for women and I wasn't an overweight woman, but I understood weight loss and the benefits. And I like that they used exercise to get involved, to, to help people instead of just giving them a shot of pills, some kind of potion. And I met the franchisor and he was a nice guy and we built a good relationship. And when I heard about how they collected money, I was really intrigued because like in the dental business, one of the reasons that got me out is I would work all month, send a doctor an invoice, and then pray I'd get paid. With this, you turn your key in the door and money's coming at you. And I was introduced to the residual recurring revenue type model. And I think that's why a lot of people are in the fitness industry and I had not been exposed to that. And that's what intrigued me. And, and I ended up opening up, and this is where it gets interesting. I ended up opening up a location. I live in Staten Island, New York. And I ended up being like the top franchisee that they had at the time. They had about 40, 50 locations. And again, I bought the business based on numbers. And we, we were operating for about four or five months and everything was going well. And I had a manager and I had a little office down the hallway. And one day this woman knocks on the door and I'm in New York. I hear she goes, you the owner? I'm like, oh, here it comes. I was ready to get punched or something. And she threw her arms around me and she thanked me for her blood pressure and her knees. And, and I never saw that profit center in the business before. I was really looking at numbers. And that's what really kept me in the business until today is that you really help people. And, and so many people get into the business for that reason. So I found a, an income center, or a, a business model that really worked for me financially. And then I saw what it could do for people. And, and that's what kind of tied me in there. I operated that business for about three years and then found myself chief operating officer of that company. I ended up selling the store, getting involved with them and had a great run with this company up to hundred locations. And I basically became chief operating officer of that company, sold uh, franchises, worked with uh, franchisees. And you learn a lot about putting people into business, especially when you come through your, on your own. But like I said, I never had any formal training. We did budgets on cocktail napkins, where when you go into a, a franchise, you have systems and processes to follow. Went through that and again, got recruited by the owner of that company, eventually sold my store. And I stayed with them for 13 years. I'm not going to bore you with this part, but the company was sold. The owner sold and I stayed with the new owners. When, when you deal with founders that have had a company for a long time, it's hard when you have a vision and they still have their old vision, it's like someone taking your baby and trying to dress it a certain way. So he felt, let's sell the company. We'll let them put you in charge and you'll be able to do the new things with these people. Long story short, didn't work out. They never listened to me. Two years down the road, I was making money, but I had no, I want to work. I enjoyed working and I wasn't really feeling like I could, they could benefit from my knowledge. And being into fitness, I started taking these kickboxing classes in my area. And, uh, and I took martial arts when I was a kid, but I never, I stopped when I was a kid. But I always felt like hitting something or I don't want to go for like karate lessons and have to learn anything too old for that. But I wanted that physicalness. And I took a class in CKO kickboxing in my neighborhood. And while I was still working for the other company, and I loved the workout. I loved the workout. And then knowing that it was a franchise, I basically got more intrigued because now I was in the franchising industry and I was playing with the numbers in my head. And every day I would take a class and I would say, I would do this, I would do that, I would change this, I would change that. And I had about 16, 17 locations at the time, but I never had any thoughts of going to work with them. And 
Ironically, one day speaking to the franchisee, I said, I'm in the franchising industry, blah, blah, blah. I met the owner, Joe Andrula, who was the founder. And after a lot of conversations, some interesting conversations, he was more a gym guy. I was more now in the franchise guy with the systems and processes. Long story short, we got together. I ended up initially just selling franchises and ended up chief operating officer of this company. We got up to about 100 locations. And so that's my long-winded version of how I got here. But it's a lot of things happen along the way and a lot of doors opened. And I think just being entrepreneurial, kind of a serial entrepreneur, I just keep following the open doors. But sorry for that long-winded version of my background. No, it's amazing. And I typed out some notes because I'm like, you dropped so many little gems there that I want to circle back to. But it's really ironic that you went into this business because of the EFT, which it's all about the reoccurring revenue. I love that EFT. What's my draft that every month I want to know? And it's a good way to be able to, for, from a cash flow perspective, it's easier to manage money when you know what's coming in on a monthly basis. But it's interesting that you got into the business for the financial reasons and then later discovered the altruistic reasons that to be in this business, because a lot of people come into it the other way. And then I think the problem with a lot of people in the fitness industry is they have this messed up money mindset because they're like, I came into this business to help people. It's wrong to also make money. And no, it's not. That's how the world works. That's you have bills to pay. Your electric company doesn't feel bad when they send you a bill. So why should you feel bad from monetizing a, a product or service, but that's really interesting. I'd love to hear more about what it takes to take a business to a franchise model. So when you came on to CKO, they were corporately owned locations, right? And then you franchise this. what do you have to do? He was franchised already. What he did is he had a lot of individual stores he owned. And he can, when he became a franchise, he flipped them into franchise locations and sold a couple. But there was no real franchise engine in place at that time. And, and what we did and what we've done still to today is a lot of our growth has been organic. And to your point, a lot of passionate members and trainers that are franchisees. And the hardest thing about that is that they're so passionate, they want to go to work in sneakers and t-shirts and tank tops and they lose sight of the business side of it. And it's really hard because they're easy to bring in the door because they're so passionate about it. But then to explain marketing, overhead, expense, blah, 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 it's hard to get that point across. When we get a combination of people, it's a lot easier. And, um, and that's where I've worked hard at with potential franchisees. Like when, It's funny, when we were in the weight loss industry for that previous company. I turned around one day and I told the owner of the company, Scott, every one of our franchisees is an overweight woman because they were so passionate about the brand. And ironically, believe me, I have nothing against overweight people. I love them. Uh, they were the worst operators because they felt so aligned with the client that they'd rather be in the back, hanging out with the women, exercising, than really understanding what they were there for. And to your point, you have to be money-oriented or you can't keep your lights on to service these people who you want to care for. So it's really interesting on how you transition or take somebody. So this is an industry people are very passionate about. When you go open McDonald's, you don't love hamburgers, you might, or, or a transmission shop or whatever it might be. But in fitness, most people are brought in because, as you said, they want to help people. They want to be part of a healthy lifestyle. It's more of a lifestyle business. But the beauty of it is it's a service business. And service businesses are awesome. 
because you're not stocking your shelves, you're not manufacturing anything. You just, in most cases in our model, which is a boutique model, whether we have three, 300 members or a thousand, our expenses don't really change that much. So you're really printing money in a sense. It's a great business, especially that you could help people. Right. You're in the business of relationships. And I think one of the biggest challenges in the fitness business is really checking your emotions, managing your emotions. Cause like you said, sometimes you get so dialed into these people and you want to help them. And you really are sometimes we want it more than the person wants it. It's this is so, this is exactly what you need. I had this office back in the day when I worked at David Barton gym, I had a huge office and I used to call it the confessional because people would come in my office, they would close the door and they would spill their guts, tell me their whole life story. And it's, you want to be connected. Emotions are helpful in business when they create empathy and empathy is something you always want to have in business, but you can't get so emotionally tied to the story that you forget about asking for the sale about the entire business, especially if you are that figurehead that's in charge of the business. And that can be very challenging. What are some other common struggles that you see for franchisees? I think the biggest thing is where they've come from. When I was a franchisee, I did awesome because I had no knowledge behind me. I, I ran these businesses successfully and sold them successfully, but I was really winging it. You know, when, when you come into a franchise, so here's the thing, when you come into a franchise and let's say you worked in corporate America, the thing happens where people say, I'm going to be the best franchisee because you have to follow the system. I'm going to follow everything. Great. That's what you're going to do. We're telling you should spend $5,000 in advertising, whatever it might be. And then they become franchisees. And for a couple of months, and then all of a sudden the wings start growing and they want to fly out of the cage. And unfortunately, they crash into walls because it's hard to tell somebody like one of the key things in, in this industry, because it's attrition, is marketing. You need to constantly fuel the marketing. You don't stop that. You'll have people that don't understand marketing because they haven't been in business. But I'll say, why would I spend three to $5,000? I won't spend it and I'll have made it. But they don't realize it's not an expense, it's an investment. And that's what makes your money go through. And, and that's really a, a really big part of the problem. And again, letting them realize that they're in business, they're not saving the whales in a sense. It's not a not-for-profit, saying it because it's in the weight loss business, but it's, it's not a not-for-profit. You, you have to be focused on numbers, performance, and things like that. And then you can enjoy being in the back with the people. But it's the fault of the boutique industry because it's so intimate, it's so small that you get lost inside your memberships. So we've had, and I'm sure this is in every brand, we've had uh, members that have thrown franchisees' wives baby showers and people going to weddings. It's very intimate and entangled. But in franchising, it's, it's very hard to fit people in, know if anybody's going to be good at the franchise or not. But mostly it takes organizational skills ahead of time and really wanting to follow the plan. I find some people that they, they can't be organized enough to be successful at business. And there are certain things you could teach people and certain things you can't. And it's hard to know that. It's like a honeymoon. Everything's going great. And then you get out there and say, ooh, who did I marry? So that's kind of part of it is, is trying to figure out who's going to be a right fit for you. The passion side is easy, but it's getting the dots to connect financially and creating a vision. The other part is, you know, some people can be a leader. This, I think, is really the biggest thing. Some people can be a leader and manage employees, and some people can get managed by their employees. 
And it's real, that's the worst. It's like the horse pushing the cart. When you get a lot, and again, a lot of these things are kind of hard to, and I've spent 20 years, I probably put 300 people in franchises in business and probably dealt with two, 3,000 people. And I love that part of it. I love like creating this relationship with somebody where I'm not a salesperson because I'm going to be working with you. In my, that's why I said entrepreneur. I've become my own business within these other businesses. So when I bring someone in, instead of bringing a broker, I'm bringing them in and then I'm working with them after that. So how I create a sales process is I create things that I know I'm going to be doing with them in the future. So if they buy into that, hopefully they buy into the rest of the picture. You had so many good... <laughs> There's so many good things that you're saying. I'm like over here. I put myself on mute when I'm not speaking. I'm like, yes, because first of all, yes, when you create a plan, you have to see it through something that I can't stand is people that do are constantly changing things and do not want to stick to the plan. It's a plan only works if you follow it and it's it, and you have to have patience. First of all, devising a strategy is what you invest your time into. You look at all the analytics you set everything up. It's like setting the setting the table for dinner. Then you have to sit down and eat and you have to follow, you have to execute. You can't enjoy the meal without sitting down at the table. And so many people are constantly wanting to change things or they get a better idea, not thinking about how that might re affect the rest of the business. For example, marketing. Oh, I'm doing well. I'm at full capacity. I don't have to invest any more money into marketing. And then summer hits and 50 of your members go on freeze or they want to cancel. And you're like, oh, wait, now my pipeline is completely dry. Marketing is that pipeline. You have to constantly invest in that pipeline because the nature of this business is obviously we want to retain as many clients as possible. But the nature of this business is people get hurt, they move, they get sick, they get life happens, they get, you know, another job opportunity, it eats into their time, yada, yada, yada. You have to constantly keep that pipeline full and always be thinking about the future, not just the here and now. It's crazy, the mentality sometimes. <laughs> it's funny, like you, you hear when you sell franchises, you hear the same questions. When you work with franchisees, you hear the same questions. So I'll have a franchisee tell me in reviewing their business and they need to get more leads and we'll talk about marketing, say, and they'll say, I get all my, my members from referrals. I'm like, that's awesome. Those are the best leads. So wouldn't you want to get more new people and then get more referrals? It's just, it's just hard. It's hard to change someone's mindset. And unless they evaluate through the metrics of the business and look at the numbers, they can't. And that's the problem in this industry. Like you, you don't want somebody to come in that's fully numbers oriented because then they're not gonna understand the passion side, but you don't wanna come in, somebody come in too overly passionate, passionate. But I have to tell you something, I have to segue into this here because the last year of my life with the pandemic, where we're New Jersey based, so the majority of our locations were organically have come up New York, New Jersey. I've, we did a lot, myself and Jody, owner of the company, we did a lot of support calls. We literally did two or three support calls a week since last March. And one of the franchisees reminded me a couple of weeks ago, he said, you said it was going to last two weeks. Well, it didn't last more than a year. And in New York, where a lot of our franchises are in the city area, Boutique Fitness just opened a month or two ago. And these people will owe anywhere from $100,000 to $150,000 in back rent. That's terrible. It affected everyone. But I saw people persevere in this franchise that was unbelievable. No money coming in. 
like really figuring out, we went from closed to virtual, to outdoor, to indoor, to vert, to all these ways. And we lost probably about 10 locations, but I just think it's amazing when you could see people be that resilient and, and figure out how to get through it. That's the one part. So that's the franchisee part. And, and it was tough for everybody in business, restaurants and everyone. But I look at the members, like, like for me, I think fitness is, if you're a fitness nut, like myself, I've been working out my whole life. I don't go for the physical aspect. I really go for the mental aspect. And I think of all the people that were shortchanged this year, mentally and physically, while you could go, and I know everybody says the same thing, while you could go into CVS or Pathmark or any of these places and shop, that they made us the, the germ fest of, the, of all industries. I think they hurt a lot of people, and, and I just wanted to get this out there, and I don't know if we're going this direction, but I just feel really terrible that, that what they did to this industry, and I feel, I've not heard one person say anything about, you know what, coronavirus, you should exercise. You know, coronavirus, you should eat a certain way. We, all we did was hide from this invisible enemy, but nobody told us how to protect ourselves. Now everybody's getting injected, which is, I guess if it works, I haven't done it. I guess if it works, it's great. I don't know. I may get it. I don't know if I'm going to get it. It scares me. But like now, okay, we created the scarcity. Everybody's going out and get shot with a needle, but we're still not talking about how to protect your immune system. And I think fitness is headed in the right direction. I think what we need to do is make fitness an essential industry and, and teach people how to protect their bodies, how to protect themselves mentally. Because I, I just think the outcome from this financially and mentally, no one's talking about, I'm sure people in the industry are talking about it, but I think that's the real shame. And I think the fitness industry really needs to stand together with some major players. I'm a little guy here, but to really change the dynamic from come and work out to this is an essential industry to keep you alive. Because I think it does keep people alive and it keep, I think it keeps people mentally stable. Sorry, I had to get that out there. I completely agree. I mean, Ursa put out a report saying that industry revenue plummeted in 2019 versus 2020. It went down 58% and 17% of facilities are not opening again. Facilities that close are not opening again. Honestly, 17% is pretty good because of the people that are running the businesses, like you said, those people that are committed to their communities. And I think that's really the key differentiator is the communities. Like those people, when people talk about digital fitness, and that's a part of the puzzle, and, and I support digital fitness 100%, but when you know the owner and the operators, the managers, the people at the club that you're a member of and that their business just got, the rug got pulled out from under them. I really tip my hat off to the people in the communities that really rallied around those facilities and those businesses that really lifted them up and were able to carry them through the pandemic, whether that was through a Zoom donation, whether that was going and being adaptable and saying, okay, you know what? I'm used to working out in a facility. Hell, I'll work out in a parking lot. I'll work out on Instagram live, like whatever I got to get it in. And that's also a testament to the fact that those people provide a service that is essential for me. Like working out is my, that's my mental health. That's my 
therapy. I didn't go to a gym when we were shut down and I couldn't wait. I was making my family miserable. I'm like, the anxiety was bottling up. I'm like, I need to be in a gym for me working out of my living room. It just doesn't cut it. It does for some people. And I, that's great. But after working in the industry for 20 years, I'm a gym rat. I need to be around people, baby. <laughs> Gym friends, so you get the people watch and all those good things. But yeah, it's been it's been crazy year. But I think the future of fitness is really. I think it's going to be really good. I think there's going to be a lot of money out there. I think unfortunately, the market's thinned out a little bit. There's people that went out of business. And I think the operators that are here will be the savvy operators, and and I think they'll be able to reset, transition, whatever needs to be done. I, I don't believe digital is the future. However, I think it's a component. I don't, I think for some people, like for myself, I could, we have a Peloton bike here and my wife has, I use it, it's great, but I still want to get out of the house and go somewhere and, and work out and do that type of thing. And you made a good point earlier where like some people, they're fitness enthusiasts and they get into business and that's great. But if they don't, if they don't adapt and pick up those big business skills, even like you said, you learn from the school of hard knocks. You learn from actually being in the trenches and learning the day to day. If you're not adaptable like that, you would be one of these people that was not able to make it. And in a way, a thinning of the herd has been positive because now what's left is really top quality. And so consumers are really able to get like that top quality service, that top quality experience. And that's what it's all about. It's really about experiences. And Rich, just being a leader in the fitness industry, what was that like for you personally, having to get on the phone with franchisees going through these challenges? How has that affected you? I like to play offense and it seemed like all I did was play defense. The biggest struggle or what I did most was speak to landlords. And I get the landlord scene. The landlord, you know, everybody assumes the landlord has a lot of money, but they don't want to lose money either. And they were losing money. So it was a matter of how could I negotiate with the landlord to keep these people going. But really, like I was doing therapy. I almost got to the point, to be honest with you, I didn't want to pick up the phone anymore. I did, but I just knew what it was going to be. It was going to be like, how am I going to get through this? What am I going to do? And fortunately, we came out of it. But in the middle of it, it was really tough. And we had certain markets opening, which was great. But like I said, the majority being in New York and New Jersey, and then California was another, they're still in a disaster. And Michigan, another disaster. It was tough. We tried, we created programs. We tried to keep them distracted in a sense and keep thinking that's going to change and what will we do and, and how will we prepare and what changes can we make? But to me, we created additional profit centers. It taught people how to look at things like your conversion rate lead to trial, things that people really never had an opportunity to work on or really hone in on because when it's still today. So our, our deal today is we have limited capacity in most markets. So you really can't advertise too much because then you can't let your members. It's really crazy. It's most businesses. I, I looked I did a little analysis in the, the markets that have been closed for the longest and they were down anywhere from 30 to 40% from 2019. And it's almost in line with the capacity that they were allowed to put in their gyms. However, like I said, the conversion rate has increased. So you have to take, they took the time to really work on, break down the KPIs, break down every aspect of the performance side of the business because they had no choice. It's like 
when you have only a little bit amount of food, you ration your meals so you could eat three times a day, whatever it might be. Same thing here. It gave them an opportunity. We had them read a book, focus on the things you couldn't do, distract them, but work their minds so they could get better at what they do. And I think you made a good point when the people that are coming in now that are going to see a studio or a gym as a prospect, those people are committed. They're not going to work out with a mask on just to waste your time. I think that's been always something that's been a struggle of, oh, these leads aren't converting. How do I close these people? That's something that people are always struggling with. How can I improve those conversion rates? Now, since there is that barrier with the mask, I feel like somebody that's coming in is really committed. Like they want to be there. They're making a choice. So you better be providing an amazing experience to keep them coming back for more. And that's a good point that you made about the capacity. It's interesting interesting to see how are you seeing business owners pivot as far as compensation? Because for a lot of these facilities, they compensate their instructors based on capacity. So if I'm an instructor and I used to pack a room with 50 people in the room, and now I can only have 20 people in the room, how am I going to get compensated? How are business owners pivoting in that regard? It's very challenging. That's a tough one because there's, you know, you come through so many months of not making money. When you look at some people that this was their sole business and didn't have a spouse that's working. Like we had a lot of people that have spouses working. So they were fortunate to be able to just say, okay, I'm not going to make any money and I'm going to live off this other person or whatever I have saved. But it's been really hard. And a lot of franchisees are just taking on more themselves or trying to give their key people, you know, more classes. But one of the other things that happened with the PPP loan and stuff um, with unemployment so people would rather not come back to work and just get unemployment or they started to be the trainers in the park you know what i mean before you had a competition of someone leaving you and going to title or wherever in the boxing industry i love kick wherever it might be now you have your people trying to take people outside in the park and doing boot camp so it's just that but those things they get taught people get tired of it after a while but you know, you had to let your people survive and you just hope that it, when it comes back and, and it's still a struggle every day. I have franchisees in New York and New Jersey, like every day, what am I going to do with these numbers? What am I doing with these numbers? And my advice to them is you just have to like, like you paint a room and you have one can of paint, you have to stretch the dollars out till September. I feel like once we get through the summer and we get to September, I hope and pray things will be back to almost normal. I think the kids will be going back. Like right now, everything in the world is screwed up. The kids aren't in school. I met somebody this morning. He was like, I can't come to the gym. One day the kids go to school, then they test them. Then they, somebody gets tested, they can't go. So I think you have to just hone down now with the knowledge that's going to get better. Before, in the middle of the pandemic, you were in the middle of a storm and you didn't know if your boat was going to flip or not. Now I think we're, gonna, we're coming out of the storm. So it's a matter of just, you know, we're helping them get financing where they came. A good thing that's come out of this for CKO is that we've always been compared to most boutique fitness, lower cost. We're almost like the planet fitness of boutique fitness. Most of our locations were under hundred dollars. It's allowed us to get our cost higher and membership cost higher and people are paying it because it's, we can put less people in. Our business model at the time was built on so many members at a certain cost. So we increased the cost to make up for less occupancy, less members. So when we do come out of it, 
that'll be very helpful because if we get back to normal, there's a lot of extra income to then put into the business. So there have been a couple of, you know, things that have come out that are good, like the virtual program and we sell box a heavy bag to people who do their workouts at home. And we got very into kids classes. The kids classes have been great because the kids, you know, the parents are like losing their minds that the kids are staring at iPads. They don't know what they're doing. They're playing games and the no PE in school, not being in school, that no social interaction. To me, it's, that's been one of the saddest things I've seen these kids and they're just, they're like zombies. They were like zombies before with their phones and their electronics. Now they're just connected to their brains. So that's been really good. So we've, we've learned a lot through it. Again, we've tried to like polish skills and, and get people to, to really focus on the dots more. Because if, when you get the dots to connect, it's an awesome business. As I said, like I said, you, you can help people and you can make money. There's really not much better than that. And you can go to work in sneakers and shorts and tank tops and enjoy a healthy lifestyle. It's a beautiful business to be in. It is a beautiful business to be in. And you made such a good point about kids fitness. That's one of my passions, maybe because I'm a parent, but it, what you were saying is true. And these kids have gone through so much. They're suffering with mental health issues. They're really checked out from interacting. I said to my kids the other day, we're going to the beach on Saturday. Why don't you call a friend? to come. And they're like, no, the parents don't want that anymore. They're scared. And just, I'm hoping that just like you were saying earlier, the news and the media was spinning this message that gyms were places where people could contract COVID. I think now the media is shifting to the vaccine is the savior. And so once you're vaccinated, you can go out in public. That's a whole other side story that I won't even get into about the whole agenda of the vaccine. But and. So I think that's now spinning a message the other way. So I'm hoping that will work to fitness operators and fitness businesses advantage that now that message is being put out there. And there's so many people that just follow that herd mentality. It's, oh, the news said it. Oh, it must be true. Okay. Now I can go back and how it's safe. But I do think that we're going to have our work cut out for us because people have more issues than ever before from sitting so much from eating, sit, sitting down and, and eating, being stuck in your home. I know that I'm eating way more than I ever have in my whole life. I'm like 10 feet from my kitchen at all times. So I definitely think that all those things really, we have our work cut out for us in the fitness industry. And there is a lot of opportunity. And I'm really hoping that those people that have made it this far will continue to thrive. Well, we have to promote health. And I think, like you said, I read something that said average person gained about 29 pounds. So I, I think the people are going to come. It's all about consumer confidence. And there's people in New York driving around in the car by themselves with their masks on. You're never going to get those people. And they probably, I imagine they sleep with a mask on. So it's strange. But I think as consumer confidence comes, as like you said before, someone comes in that's going to join regardless of masks and what's going on. We'll hopefully tell one of their friends, it's safe, it's good. And that's what I think we have to push on. And I think we have to work in the fitness industry to become essential. And if, because I would have never imagined a year and a half ago this ever happening. So I cannot imagine something like this ever happening again. <laughs> and that's the scary part of it. So I think we have to be prepared for that. But, but I do think that people, through this, if the word could get out there that be healthy by exercising and eating correctly in case this happens again, because who were most affected? People that had health issues, obese people, 
I just don't know why the media, which is a whole nother story, or a government isn't speaking to those things. And I've not heard one person, I'm sure you've heard plenty of people as yourself saying it, but I've not heard one person come out and say, these are the, I was doing things in March, April, May, and June. Like I was squeezing oranges, lemons, cinnamon. I was drinking, I was doing more things. I'm healthier than I've ever been. You know what I mean? I was doing so many things to protect myself just because I was looking these things up because I didn't know what coronavirus, and I know my, my daughter's a, a nurse in a hospital in Brooklyn and she was body bagging people left and right. So it was scary, real stuff for a while. And, but I'm saying, I never heard anyone talk about that. I've never seen a new show speak about that. So I think we have to take that as an opportunity to work with our members, work in our communities and get the message out there that this could happen again. This is still happening. Let's protect ourselves. There's no more flu. Nobody even gets colds anymore. So let's continue this and exercise, eat in, and your mental health is so important today. There's so much stress in the world. You, If you listen to the news and you could freak yourself out, you listen to your friends and people, everybody's got these different stories to getting get an hour of your life to be physical, clear your head is so important, no matter what you have to do. And if it's running or it's walking, or riding a bike, to me, this is so essential in the world we live. There's just so much information out here and so much electronics that we just have to really, that has to be our agenda in the fitness industry. It's an opportunity to connect with yourself. And you said something in the beginning of this podcast that I just want to circle back with. You said, sometimes you need to hit something. And I think like right now, like with all this stress that's happening right now, it feels good. Listen, people, when I got divorced, I took a boxing. It felt really good to hit something. <laughs> Sometimes you just need, everybody's been through so much and it's hard because you're living in your own bubble. So you're like wrapped up in your problems and your own world, but everybody has that little bubble and everybody's facing those issues. And this is really the best way to cope. When you think about the fact that liquor stores and marijuana dispensaries were open during throughout COVID and yet gyms were not, which is a better way to cope with stress and anxiety? I, I don't know. I guess we all have our different coping mechanisms, but I definitely think that fitness is definitely the best way to get that outlet and then increase your immunity. It's ironic to me that the people in the gym are the healthiest people because they're the ones that are investing in their health and their immunity and they care about their bodies yet Home Depot can stay open. But anyway, not to get on a whole tangent there. <laughs> well, when I go to the gym, the regular gym and they take my, I take, I take my temperature. I'm like, if I, had, if I had a fever, the last place I'm going to go is in the gym, but I might go to CVS to get some TheraFlu or go buy myself some soup in the supermarket, but that's cool. That's okay or get myself some brand. Like I said, the, the, I, I did a call from my car. I was getting a, happened to get in a bottle of wine in like March or April. And I'm like a Tuesday and I could not believe the amount of people going in at a liquor store. And I get it. For some, the scary thing or the, I guess it's a little frustrating. If you weren't in the fitness industry or restaurant business or a couple of others, you were not affected by this at all. You really like, like my wife works for an insurance company. Instead of being out, she's working from home. They do everything by Zoom. Her job was not affected. So what happened? She drove a car less. We went out to eat less. She actually saved money. I've been telling franchisees, like through the stimulus check, it's a good time to offer paid in fulls. Because the people that, first of all, what's $1,400 going to do for you? I don't get that whole thing either. You can you have an opportunity there. People that didn't get affected financially, now getting $1,400, maybe getting a tax refund 
it's a good time to take advantage of it. And when you have money you didn't earn, you could spend it a lot quicker. That's a good point. And honestly, like the best return on investment is investing in yourself. So what's better than investing in your health? You can't have anything without that. But I know I'm preaching to the choir. Everyone listening to this is kind of probably nodding their heads because we all have the same mentality. But Rich, it was it's been so amazing to learn from you, learn your experience um, and your perspective. If somebody wants to connect with you or they want to learn more about CKO, how can they do that? I could give my number or you could, my, it's easy. It's rich at CKO kickboxing. So everybody wants to be rich and just CKO kickboxing. I could give you my number. It's, I'll put it out there. It's 917-748-6420. And happy to help anybody out there. I just, I love working with entrepreneurs uh, and franchisors that need any information or help. I, I have a lot of experience in business and I just love sharing it. And I, Vanessa, I appreciate the opportunity of being here. It was great chatting with you here. This was fun. Thank you. I appreciate it.